it's uh, Monday. Well, you know, it was 9.30 like 23 minutes ago when I didn't realize that my sound wasn't working. Now it's 9.53. But, you know, generally speaking, ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening on some other platform at some other time, we do this live. You can call into the show, 217-688-1433 is the number. And I would love to uh, have you uh, listen to the show live, to call in, say hello. You know, I love hearing from you guys. I really do. The more you talk, the less I have to, I'm very fond of saying. But, uh, you know, this morning as I was writing uh, the introduction for the show today, uh, my friend there, Ian Freeman, he was, uh, you might recall, I interviewed him for stage, uh, stage one, episode 20 of this production. He was awaiting sentencing in a federal district court in New Hampshire for the crime of selling Bitcoin to willing and vetted buyers. Prosecutors were seeking a 20-year sentence and more than $3 million in restitution, which, it is worth noting, defies the recommendations of the pre-sentence investigation and the evidence presented at trial. Restitution, as you may know, is for victims, and there is no material dispute about whether Ian Freeman victimized anyone. He did not, and not even the prosecution argues that he did. Freeman's customers lied to him when he asked them if they were being coerced or asked to purchase cryptocurrency by strangers. The strangers who were coercing and defrauding them told them to deceive Freeman. And the prosecution simply asserts that freedom, Freeman should have somehow known that this was the case. But lacking psychic powers, he should be held responsible for the fraud of others whom the FBI has made no attempt to find. Freeman is fortunate that the judge dismissed one count of money laundering post-conviction, though the fact that this took place tells us a great deal about our legal system. Prosecutors charged Freeman with money laundering because an FBI agent posing as a drug trafficker purchased Bitcoin from one of Freeman's vending machines miles away from where Freeman was standing at the time. He did this after Freeman explicitly refused to transact with the agent once the agent had asserted his unlawful purpose. Since refusing to commit a crime is not a crime in most jurisdictions, the judge dismissed the charge after the jury had convicted him of it. Of course, such blatant abuses by government are why pretrial motions exist. The more charges a defendant must defend against, the greater the burdens at trial, and the looser the rules of evidence become for the prosecution. Without the money laundering charge, the government could not have introduced evidence insinuating that Freeman was in league with drug traffickers, and since perceptions of character carry much weight in a jury trial, false accusations like this lend credence to other allegations. The court, knowing the circumstances of the allegation, refused to dismiss the charge pre-trial, and also at the close of the prosecution's case. Only after Freeman was convicted by a jury did the court intervene to dismiss the conviction for a crime Freeman plainly did not commit and which the judge knew in advance of the trial he had not committed. So while Freeman is fortunate not to be facing an additional 20 years today, he is unfortunate to be facing sentencing based on the verdict of a jury proven willing to commit him of a crime, convict him of a crime he did not commit. Before a judge proven willing to deny him a fair trial, against prosecutors proven willing to ignore investigators and posit assertions not supported by fact. A few hours drive south, Donald Trump is attending a fraud trial in New York. This is a fraud trial in every respect of that phrase. Trump is accused of fraud and the trial is just such a crime in itself. 
And though Freeman myself and many others, including Trump himself owing to the civil verdict stemming from E. Jean Carroll's fake rape lawsuit, demonstrate the limited utility of a jury, Trump will enjoy not even these meager benefits. This trial will be decided by a judge. That same judge has already found Trump liable for fraud, granting a motion for a summary judgment by New York Attorney General Letitia James. James ran on a platform that she would get Trump and in pursuit of racial justice, set real criminals loose on the street. She may be a liar and a scumbag, but at least she keeps her campaign promises, huh? Her office is seeking the dissolution of the Trump organization through the revocation of their business certificate, which amounts to what has been called a corporate death penalty, as well as a $250 million fine. On the other side of the country, Rob Rundo awaits trial at a federal detention center in Los Angeles. Rundo stands accused of conspiring to riot, and despite his charge being dismissed as unconstitutional by a federal district court judge years ago, FBI agents tracked him to Romania and extradited him here to face trial anyway. This small sampling of abuses, my own adventures in legal land, demonstrate powerfully a simple truth. Letitia James this morning uttered a phrase all too familiar in a press conference. No one is above the law. You hear a lot of that these days, don't you? This off-sided Democrat catchphrase stands in some contrast to the havoc set loose on our country by those who consider illegal immigration to be among our greatest strengths and whom warned of our country becoming a banana republic if Hillary Clinton were to be prosecuted for some fraction of the many crimes that she has committed. In 2016, we were to believe that prosecuting one's political opponents was verboten, whatever the merits. But in 2023, it is the obligation of all decent people to prosecute exclusively their political opponents while murderers, rapists, carjackers, looters, and arsonists skip gleefully to a lawless hellscape. So if Letitia James and those in league with her assert to believe that nobody is above the law and yet she does not believe that criminals ought to be held to account, one might presume this disparity in word and deed to be just one of many Democrat lies. By any measure, that would be a safe assumption, of course. With as much reliability as one might aspire to set a watch to, one might safely organize their life around the notion that if a Democrat is speaking, their purpose is to deceive. But this is hardly the only reasonable interpretation of the apparent disparity between word and deed here. Suppose for a moment, James Attal do believe that nobody is above the law. If the Democrats believe that, what then? She might believe that we all stand in some other directional relation to that law, namely beneath it. And you might reasonably conclude precisely this if you have ever been a crime victim. Forget about the fake prosecutions and lawsuits for a moment. At least with regard to these, you can, in most cases, avoid them by not challenging those in power. At least, And while challenging those in power in an alleged democracy ought not be punishable by conjured legal allegations, that is at least something that most people can sanely organize their lives around. What is perhaps more frightening than these is what precedes them and has been accepted as an uncontroversial fact of our legal landscape. The government long ago decided that they have no duty to protect. Okay, that's a legal phrase. No duty to protect. And there is, quote, no right per se to have a case brought. Okay, that's another legal maxim. 
You are obligated to pay for courts, prisons, and police. You are obligated to respond to subpoenas and submit to the jurisdictions of those elements of our legal apparatus. But that same apparatus purports no obligation to you at all. Rob Rondo's accused of conspiring to riot because he allegedly went to places where he, he expected that there would be violent criminals attacking people. He went to places where he was expecting people he didn't like to commit crimes so that he could go and stop them from doing it. Having witnessed Countless incidents where Trump supporters and other decent people were violently attacked without provocation. That's not an unreasonable thing for a man to do, by the way. Having witnessed time and again that those criminals went unpunished, he and his friends were accused of trying to help those people. Had police declared that those criminals were not above the law, had prosecutors sought harsh sentences for them, had the courts imposed some portion of those recommendations, there might have been no rise above movement. You might never have heard the name Rob Rondo, or for that matter, Christopher Cantwell. Trump stands accused of overestimating the values of his properties. Well, that seems an unlikely thing for a man who pays millions of dollars in New York City property taxes to do, but let us assume the accusation's true. Suppose that, as alleged, Trump did this for decades, and so long as he kept showering Democrats with campaign contributions instead of insults, nobody seemed to mind that much. Least of all, the banks who gave him the loans on that basis and were very happy to collect their interest when he paid on time. Would a New York real estate developer know if such practices were common in his jurisdiction? Would he be put out of business if his competitors engaged in this practice while he stubbornly refused to do anything so disreputable? Quite certainly. But because we're all beneath the law now instead of above it, one must do what one must to compete in a lawless environment. And as soon as he criticized those who had fostered that lawless environment, they used their powers to destroy him. And while I was composing this message this morning, a federal district court judge imposed an eight-year sentence on Ian Freeman. None of the bankers who facilitated any of those transactions are joining him in that prison. None of the fraudsters who told his customers to lie to him have even been sought, okay? It's not that they didn't catch the. It's not that they're running around the country trying to figure this out. It's not that they have failed to do it. They have declined to investigate. The fake trials would be less offensive if we had some real ones, you know? 217-688-1433 if you'd like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. Now. Do I have a clip? Do I have a clip that I can play here? Do I have safe clips? I got to get safe clips for uh, for for surreal politics. I have like the uh, I have all these clips that I can play on. I have all these clips that I can play on the uh, the uncensored production. Yeah, I'll do this.
Somebody finds you said something insensitive 20 years ago, you'll never be heard from again. Now, how could, look, if, if I belong to a despised minority group, I would so vastly prefer somebody who just says something insensitive about me 20 years ago to somebody who wants to bomb me. Like, what, what am I missing here, Chris? Well, I, I think the first thing that we're missing is that this will not um, you know, expel people from the world, right? The, 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 the fact of the matter is, is that what really jams people up with this is when they backpedal and apologize, which I think is, you know, the worst thing that you can do. When somebody calls you a racist, they think the best thing you can say is, so what? Now get on with your argument. You know, I, you know, people call me a racist and a sexist and a misogynist and a bigot. And I'm like, okay, now make your point because all you did was launch an ad hominem attack at me. You haven't even refuted anything I've said. You don't win the argument by doing this. And I think if more people did that, then, you know, these, these attacks would really lose a lot of their steam. You know, me, people have been trying to run me out of the liberty movement for, for years now. And uh, I just didn't, you know, I, people laugh at me for bragging about Alexa ranks, but I just bypassed the Free State Project on TopLibertarian.com. I'm actually right below you right now, Mr. Woods. Ah, well, so, how about that? Well, lucky for you, I'm too busy making Ron Paul homeschool videos to be at full octane. But but good for I you. Know, I know, I know. <laughs> good for you, though. I, I know that if you were if you were writing, uh, uh, you know, uh, you know, less important things than than the obviously very important work that you're doing right now, that you'd be driving no, a great uh, deal more. That really is an accomplishment. And what I like about it is that nobody, to return to the privilege issue, nobody handed you a thing. To the contrary, everybody tried to take things from you. Like nobody said, here, everybody, here's a platform where I'm going to introduce you to this guy. Now, I, I was lucky because I, you know, Ron Paul has promoted me to one degree or another and I've been with the Mises Institute for a number of years, and that's been good for me. But at the same time, I'm not. Okay, welcome back to Surreal Politics. Uh, 217-688-1433. If you'd like to be on the program, and the more you talk to us, I have to, so please give us a call. And by the way, like, if you want to get on, the, if you want to call into the show tonight, like, call in now. Don't wait. Don't wait until later, because I'll end the show early, okay? I've got a bunch of stories pulled up here. I'm really bent out of shape, you might have gathered. Like, as, as if it wasn't bad enough, my friend just got sentenced to eight years in prison, and then I got tech problems on top of it. I'm like, I'm like not in the mood, okay? So if you want to call in, do call in, and then, and then I'll talk to you until, uh, until I call the show up. But uh, if you're not going to call into the show, then I'm, gonna, then I'm not going to stay here all night and just read the news to you because that's all I really have to do. 217-688-1433, you like to be on the program. And the more you talk, the less I have to, so please give us a call. Now, um, come on. Where's the thing I want the whole entire point of me playing this stupid break. Oh, so uh, Jamal Bowman. This guy's pretty funny. So um, there's a guy. He's a Democrat. Uh, you might you might guess this from his behavior. So this Democrat, um, he went. He he uh, he decided that he was going to go pull a fire alarm in Congress, and he did this with the intention of obstructing a government proceeding. You understand? Now you might remember that thing. You know, obstructing a government proceeding. Now, they used to call that insurrection back in the battle days of 2021. Now that we are living in a libertarian utopia, they don't apparently look, look at it that way anymore. But um, Jabal Bowman, he went and pulled the fire alarm because he wanted to uh, shut down the government of the United States. He wanted to make sure that there was not a vote on a continuing resolution 
to prevent a government shutdown. Now, you might say to yourself, like, wait a second, Chris. That doesn't make any sense. Government, it, the, the Democrats don't like to shut down the government. Democrats are the party of government. They love government. They need the government. And you would, you know, I would understand that if you listen to a lot of conservative talk radio, right? On conservative talk radio, they're like, go ahead, shut down the government. The Democrats are the ones who are going to suffer. They said it all the time. Because they don't understand, either they don't understand anything or they're, or they're malicious, you know, it's a coin toss. Depending on the mood that you're in, you might believe one or the other. But so Jamal Bowman, he wanted to make sure that this, this, um, this bill to keep the government open did not pass. And so he pulled the fire alarm to prevent a vote from occurring. And then he was arrested for that, you know. And it's a big problem that he got arrested, not because, you know, not because a congressman committed. It was a problem because he's black, right? So you're not allowed to arrest black people anymore. That's racist. And so um, then it turned, then he comes around and he gets out and he says, oh, no, no, no. I wasn't trying to obstruct an official proceeding. No, 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 no. I wasn't trying to shut down the government of the United States. I was, I was trying to go out the door and the door, I couldn't get through the door. And when I went to go out the door and I had trouble getting out the door, I was like, maybe if I pull this handle, the door will open. And, you know, that's like a trope, right? Because you, you like, he's saying like, look, I know that you guys are a bunch of racists and you think that I have a low IQ because I'm black. And so I think that you'll believe this, right? Um, but that's not, he's not actually that stupid. Like he knows what he did. And so he's a criminal, <laughs> And Marjorie Taylor Greene went out there and she's like, no, look at, let, let me just demonstrate to you how preposterous the story is. And it was very preposterous. And so he's a criminal and he's lying. Um, and I thought that that was pretty amusing. Uh, 217-688-1433, you'll like to be on the program. We already talked about the stupid Nikki Haley thing. Um, Tucker Carlson gave a speech uh, not long ago. Uh, where he has some uh, some pretty dire predictions for the future. So they've done everything they can by legal means, which are in fact extra legal means, if we're being totally honest, completely third world stuff, to take the opponent out of the race and they're still losing. So, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. This is not going to be a race between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. I would bet my beloved fishing camp in Maine that that is not going to happen. That's not going to happen. So what will happen? Well, I don't know. One of like 400 distinct other possibilities? I mean, I just can't even, you know, pick one. By the way, if it's Gavin Newsom, we all should be very, very concerned. That guy's scary, and I mean it. I mean it, it's scary. Yeah, but that's a whole separate conversation. But the point is, this, is, this will be forced. These issues will be forced soon, like in a year. And the road from here to November of 2024 is going to be filled with developments nobody in this room could foresee. I can promise you that. So it's about to get very serious, for sure. It's, you know, it's only leadership of the world at stake, which is also, by the way, we now know the most lucrative possible political franchise in human history. So everything's at stake. What wouldn't they do? What haven't they done? What might they do next? Let your imagination run wild. So the question, the only one that you can answer is, how will you prepare yourself for that? And because that really is the only question. And, and I mean, I just, my, my answers to that in my own life, I'll just tell you what I think. One, be a little bit more serious. You know, like take this seriously. 
much as you want to retreat and pretend everything is fine, sit down. It's not fine, okay? Two, you know, maybe if you look across at the people you despise, the small group of people running this country, and it is small, it does not represent most people in America, it doesn't represent anything close to a majority at all. Again, just to restate, Donald Trump, who is hated as a blood enemy by over 40% of the population, and who's been attacked in ways that no political figure has ever been attacked in the West, is beating the incumbent president, okay? I'm not sure that's entirely an endorsement of Trump. To some extent it is, and his empathy, that's real. But it's also a sign of revulsion, deep dissatisfaction with what we're doing. So most people are not on board with this. But the people who are responsible for it are the most dishonest, the most ruthless, the most anti-human group I've ever dealt with. And I spent 35 years living in Washington. I don't even recognize these people and what they're doing. I really don't. It's so dark. They're doing things that can't even, on an academic level, conceivably help the United States or the population that lives here. Letting in 7 million people from the poorest countries in the world illegally and then immediately putting them all on public benefits? I mean, that right there will destroy the country. And they did that on purpose. So these are really, really dark people, the darkest. So I need to be the opposite of that. And I'm not a super good person. The last thing I would do is claim to be. But this is, this is the moment to try a little harder to be a little bit better. This is not the moment to be drunk all the time. This is not the moment to tell lies. As they go lower, go higher. And there are many reasons for this. And one is spiritual, let's be totally honest. I do think this is a spiritual battle. There's no political explanation for it whatsoever. But one other reason is for the way that you feel about yourself. When you're honest, you are proud of yourself. When you're honest, you are strong. When you lie, you become weak. That is true. Tell a lie, you become weak. Why do you lie? Because you're hiding something. Because you believe that the people around you knew what you really thought or said or did, they would think less of you. That diminishes you. Your power ebbs when you lie. Tell the truth. Good advice, Tucker Carlson. And so, uh, you know, but Democrats, they don't like telling the truth. And that's why, uh, that's why you know that they're uh, criminals. They lie all of the time. And so one of these guys who is, uh, you know, when, when people are in the habit of lying, they become journalists frequently. And that is a, it's a, it's a great way to make like $45,000 a year lying your butt off. And so they do this and they live modest lives, often in terrible neighborhoods. And one of these guys lived in a terrible neighborhood in Philadelphia. And his name was Josh Kruger. And he, uh, and his Twitter has like a, a rainbow flag on it. And he's an idiot. And he was running around saying things uh, that like uh, that, that COVID was much worse, for example, than the gun violence that had been loosed on the streets of Philadelphia uh, by Larry Krasner setting uh, setting um, gun criminals free, you know, because they don't like guns. But, you know, they don't like they don't like what they, they have a problem with law abiding gun owners. Right. They, they like criminals. That's a weird thing about them. You know, they talk about gun violence. But they, they don't actually have a problem with that. They're like, oh, well, as long as you're using it for crime, you know, it's all right. And so some criminal went into this guy's house and shot him, and he's dead. A Philadelphia journalist and community advocate, <laughs> that's pretty funny, 
This is NBC News. He was a community advocate. Yeah, he was advocating for the members of his community to commit crimes and go loose on the street. And then one of those criminals came into his house and shot him. Police were notified of a shooting at Josh Kruger's home in the 2300 block of Watkins Street at 1.28 a.m. on Monday. Kruger, 39, sustained seven gunshot wounds to the chest and abdomen. He was taken to a local hospital where he was pronounced dead at 2.13 a.m. No arrests have been made, shockingly enough, and a motive is still under investigation, police said. But it's hard to track down the motive of somebody who's a lying criminal journalist, isn't it, you know? They're like, there's a lot of decent people out there who've been harmed by this guy. Where are we going to start, you know? We might normally go looking for criminals, but this guy, you know, there's decent people might have wanted to kill this guy. Kruger was known in the Philadelphia community as a social justice advocate, longtime journalist, writing for news outlets such as the Philadelphia Inquirer and the Philadelphia Citizen. He also worked for Mayor Jim Kenney's administration as a spokesperson for the Office of Homeless Services. In a statement, Kenney said he was shocked and saddened by Kruger's death. Josh cared deeply about our city and its residents, which is why, which was evident both in his public service and in his writing, Kenneth said in a, Kenny said in a uh, statement shared with NBC News on Monday, his intelligence, creativity, passion, and wit shone bright in everything that he did, and his light was dimmed much too soon. As a community advocate, Kruger focused on the, on uplifting the community's most vulnerable including those experiencing homelessness, addiction, and members of the LGBTQ plus P community. According to District Attorney Larry Krasner's office, as an openly queer writer who wrote about his own journey surviving substance abuse disorder and homeless, oh, this guy was a homeless gay junkie. I understand why they love him now. (laughs) Oh, you're a homeless gay junkie? Could you come and like tell other people about the news? Could you help inform the voters, homeless gay junkie? We think that that would be great for the citizens of our city. (laughs) It was encouraging to see Josh join the Kenny administration as a spokesperson for the Office of Homeless Services, Krasner said in a statement. Josh deserved to write in the, the ending of his personal story. Yeah, he did. He committed suicide by living in Philadelphia. That was his choice. That's how that's what happened. Sorry to my Philly fans. You know, I'm just saying. As with all homicides, we'll be in close contact with the Philadelphia police as they work to identify the persons or persons responsible so that they can be held to account in a court of law, he said. The investigation into Kruger's death is ongoing. And, you know, and, you know, if it turns out that some decent white person shot him because he was a lying scumbag, then you could bet that they'll follow through on that promise. But, you know, if he's just like one more random guy shot in Philly, well, you know. (laughs) 217-688-1439. You like to be on the program, and the more you told, the less I have to. So please do give us a call. And uh, you know who else is a lying criminal fellow by the name of John Kelly? Now, John Kelly worked for the Trump administration. He was a, um, he was, uh, what was his position there? The longest-serving White House chief of staff for Donald Trump, as, as it were, and he offered his harshest criticism yet of the former president in an exclusive statement to CNN. Because, you know, if you're like, if you, uh, you know, if you are somebody who's like a reputable person and you're like, you know, that Trump guy, I think he's, I think that there's been, I think that there's a fair criticism to make about him. 
And I would like to put my criticism next to those other fair criticisms, or I would like to go and rebut those people who are just, you know, Trump sycophants. The first thing that you do is you go to CNN, right? You say like, okay, you know, I want people to understand that I'm not just some bitter scumbag attacking the president because I'm a loser. So you, you, you definitely, when you want to give that message, you go to CNN, right? Kelly set the record straight, says CNN, with an on-the-record confirmation of a number of damning stories and statements about Trump made behind closed doors, attacking U.S. service members and veterans, listing a number of objectionable comments Kelly witnessed Trump make firsthand. And he waited until now to do this because, you know, that's, that's what a reputable person would do. What can I add to this that has not already been said, Kelly said? Well, probably nothing. You're just coming in here to, you know, to make up nonsense and to confirm the lies, right? When asked if I, when asked if he wanted to weigh in on his former boss in a light of recent comments made by the, by other former Trump officials, a person that thinks who, those who defend their country in uniform are shot down or seriously wounded in combat or spend years being tortured as POWs are all suckers because there's nothing in it for them. A person who did not want me to be seen in the presence of military amputees because it does not look good for me. A person who demonstrated open contempt for a Gold Star family, for all Gold Star families on TV during the 2016 campaign and rants that our most precious heroes who gave their lives for America's defense are losers and wouldn't visit their graves in France. Oh, I get it. You're bent out of shape about John McCain. Oh, now I understand. A person who is not, is this just, this is funny. This is just like, it's just a rant. I can't even believe it. Like I thought, I pulled this up thinking that like he was going to go testify at the trial or something, but it doesn't have anything that approaches the level of evidence. They're just like, I hate Trump. You hate Trump. Let's do some Trump hating together. You know, this is a circle jerk fundamentally. This is this is something that you this is uh I'm not gonna say it. That would be that was obscene, the idea that went through my head. And so I'll tell you what I'm gonna do, guys. I'm gonna call it a night because you guys don't want to talk to me and uh, I'm pissed off and uh, my friend just went to prison. And so I'm gonna go work on other things and I uh, I thank you very much for tuning into Surreal Politics. I'm not gonna ask you for money because uh, we started late and we're ending early. But I do appreciate you tuning into the show. I'll be back Wednesday uh, uh, in much better shape for the Wednesday show. For the members, that is. Those of you who do pay me, thank you very much for that. We'll be back. Uh, and I'll be back on Friday for the, uh, for the, for the, uh, for the Uncensored production. And I am, uh, I am very grateful to all of you who make this production possible. So thank you very much. We'll see you soon.